Okay, Daniel, we're talking the day after Luton won United 2. You were at Kenilworth Road. What was the experience like? Uh, I've never been there. People say it's special. I hadn't been either. No, it's always good to tick, to tick one off. And I guess that that ground is sort of one of the grounds, one of the kind of almost iconic grounds of my of my childhood because plastic pitch, yeah. banning away fans. And that was like, I mean, obviously, I'm too young to remember Raddy Antiche, which was at May Road, not at Luton. But I always have a soft spot for Luton for relegating City and David Pleat. And David Pleat, actually, was a major figure in my household. Not because you might think, because he was basically the only Jew involved in football in a non-ownership sense at that time. But because I remember he got fired from Tottenham and I was sitting on the floor in the kitchen reading The Guardian. That's what I used to do in the mornings. I'd have the paper like out and I'd, because I was a kid and I'd be like turning the pages or whatever, like walking around it while it was lying flat on the floor. And I go, Dad, David Pleat's been sacked from Spurs. What does it mean to be, what does it mean to be curb crawling? And my dad goes, <laughs> my dad goes, it means to be driving very close to the side of the road <laughs> looking for women or something, something like this, something like really gnomic that actually is true, but didn't really give me any kind of indication of what football's only Jew, only Jew had managed to get himself up, get himself up to. But man, Spurs were good at the time. Like in 1987, 86, 87, Spurs, yeah. they come third in the league. Yeah, won the FA Cup. Clive Allen oh. scores 49 goals. No, they're losing the final. Losing the final to Coventry, Coventry. But, yeah, yeah. 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 In the like, Hoddle leaves though, like, but the, the game I actually went to Hoddle's last game at White Hart Lane, where the United they lost four 0 to Tottenham. And Mitchell John, Mitchell Thomas scored twice, including an overhead kick. Brief Mitchell Thomas anecdote. I've gone very scattergun here, but anyway, while we're here, because who knows when I might not get the chance to say this ever again. But I think it was Justin Edinburgh, the late Justin Edinburgh, gets a whack in the balls, and he says. It was the first time anyone's been able to feel Mitchell Thomas's jockstrap since he left. Oh dear. Anyway, so yeah, Kenilworth Road. I mean, and it's the reason why I don't like Luton is because they were sort of it was Thatcher's Luton in the eighties yeah. where they were sort of trialing the banning away fans, ID cards, and all of this. Yeah. And one of the kind of the of Reds of a certain <laughs> age is those who managed to get obviously those who managed to get to Juventus during the ban, and then those who managed to get to Luton during the ban. And, at the start of 85 86, we win 10 games to start of the season, and the 11th game is Luton, and we draw 1 1, and that's end up obviously ruining everything. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good day out. I was one of my best mates from, from college lives in Luton. And when he was, we, I used to, at the time, I used to take the piss out of where they lived, all these random places in London, in, in, in England, where we lived there, because I was from London and from North London, all. And so I'd be saying that there's, I'm just talk, talking shit really, like, if you're going to live in England, there's no excuse for not living in London. Like your parents, yeah, you need to have a word to your parents about this, blah, blah, blah. However, just kind of like 19 year olds bullshit. And one of my mates goes, when I, well, when I look out my window in Luton, I can see rolling hills. And I remember, I thought, that's nice and bucolic. And then I told one of the other boys that he'd said that, who'd been around his parents' yard, his mum's yard, that was like, no, he can see Jay Sainsbury. <laughs> yeah. And I actually messaged him when I walked past Jay Sainsbury. I took a photo. 
and um, I took a message of that. But yeah, it was it was sort of felt like this, this, the same game we're watching over and over again, which is much better than the same game we had previously been watching over and over again. Yeah, I loved in the 80s, the plastic pitch, because of course, it wasn't the modern ones that uh, take a lot of give. It was one of those ones where the ball bounces like eight feet high all the time. So you've got some absolutely spectacular clearances during long ball times. But so sadly, none of that yesterday. Instead, we had a game that looked like a basketball match. It was just back and forth. And I think I'm right saying something like the third most transitions in a game in the Premier League this season or some some ridiculous stat that shows what kind of game it was. But it was. It was just back and forth. Football's going woke. Football's going woke. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, Rishi, Rishi won't like it. Stop the boats. <laughs> Luton, right? Home of the EDL. So um, I'm sure they'd be uh, up for that slogan. Personally, I blame those people who want to be themselves. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Luton, and you were talking about the plastic pitch, is that one of the things I have fondness for, because Liverpool hated it, there were, Liverpool would often get beat on the plastic pitch at Luton and at QPR. Remember them losing to Luton maybe 3 nil in the Cup once in the snur, and also losing a game to QPR, a League Cup, a League Cup semi-final they lose Liverpool. Two, a two ways, two all at, at Loftus Road, and they lose, and that thing. Oxford end up beating QPR in the final. Not things you would see these days, Oxford nope. and QPR <laughs> in a League Cup final. But yeah, I agree with what you said. I think it wasn't a basketball match at the beginning. Again, like, and it's really weird because one of the things that has been very obvious about United in most of the pre post Fergie wilderness years is they can't start a football match properly. You had the time when they'd have to come from behind like that, map, even when they were all right under Ole. Yeah. Where it was involved in a lot of second half comebacks. Mm-hmm. And then they'd have the games where they were really shit, like under Van Gaal or whatever. They'd start a game and it would look okay for 15 minutes, but not re- no real conviction. And then they wouldn't score and then it would look appalling. And yet the same subsequent to that. But what we're seeing now is uh, we know we, we, we can attack. We can score goals. Yeah. Our fast runners up front are faster than all the fast runners, more or less, that the other team have. They're not just fast for people they're fast for fast people and they're playing with aggression and yeah the side that way as well lovely yeah. to see i uh there's a lot of criticism of marcus rashford i saw online i didn't really get that because although he he didn't come off for him in, t- in an attacking sense i thought it worked really hard and and the ability to press high all three of them doing that really well uh, you could have a different question about Garnacho's defensive work so I don't think it's very good but that is creating chances for United and they start that game they start that game as you say aggressively on the front foot obviously 37 seconds in was pretty good and it just didn't it didn't continue after the Luton goal I mean all the action came in that as three minutes and then you know you look at you look at the number of shots Luton had and I guess you'd look at it and go, well, United were right on the edge, but it looks exactly the same as recent games. So in the games against Spurs, Newport, Villa, West Ham, and now Luton, the opposition and Wolves. and Wolves, the opposition has had between 16 and 23 shots against United in each game. That is totally unsustainable. It's just like Luton were at 2XG yesterday. So we, we were fortunate that we got away with that one, but it's not like it's not a pattern. And and I think the thing that really strikes me, and I was looking through the the data of if you look at Ten Hag's last season at Ajax, all competitions, they averaged over 60% possession. 
They never dropped below 53%. This was a possession-dominant side in every kind of sense of the word. And United are almost the complete opposite. They're playing pure volleyball right now. Like, the direct transitions. The, I mean, you wouldn't call it direct football because they're not lumping it forward. But back to front really, really quickly. Had just 42% possession yesterday. This is a complete turnaround in style. And and if it, if it means United qualify for the Champions League, all well and good. Eric has made this decision. This is coaching. But it does mean United are very open. And I think in games against better opposition with better forwards who take their chances, it's uh, it's going to be, you're going to be pretty worried for United's sustaining that kind of approach. Um, but it worked just about against Luton. Yeah, I think that what you say about the start is, is interesting because it's still not totally clear what what the end goal of all of all of this is and what happens is so what we've seen over the last few weeks is enough of the good players are fit so that the team are better now he's got the front three right in the right places and we now we now look like we're going to score we're playing good football like the movements around the box are quick they're not labored they've got ideas it's good yeah but are we saying that because we're still seeing some of the same problems like dickheads striding through the midfield still happening a lot. They're still having... Like, the defenders defended well yesterday, but pretty much, but apart from the goal, more or less, but they've faced a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's... So what are we saying? Are we saying in order for it not to be like this, we need a replacement for Casemiro. We need someone who isn't Casemiro in midfield, who isn't any of the players in the squad, and then we'll be able to control games. Or... or And, and then, because... Previously, we were waiting for all the players to be available yeah. for us to control games. We're still struggling to control games. And even when Martinez played against Wolves, we did we were good for an hour or whatever. And then and then we struggled. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and it feels to me like actually this is is this just Ten Huff the way he's telling them to play right now, or his or the way he wants them to play. And we've been talking for the last bit of time about is he going to survive this season? And it's now to me start. And I, I was sort of leaning he'll survive the season, obviously. And then I was sort of leaning, no, it won't be good enough in the, for him to keep the job in the summer. And now I'm actually sort of revising that. And I think it might be good enough. I think he might do enough between now and May to keep his job. I think there's a pretty good chance we'll get top four now. Tottenham and Villa were always going to drop because they're not championship teams. So why would they deliver championship form? They won't. They're shit. I mean, they're obviously better than other teams, but I mean, relative to where, yeah, like Tottenham are fucking shit, and so I think I think we should be able to catch one of them. And so now I'm thinking, I think Tenag will probably do well enough so that they won't have to fire him. Sure, yeah. The question is, is he actually the right guy? I think there's a broader like question, which is like, what's he trying to do here? Like, is he the right guy? Is another thing, but. I, I've come to the conclusion that this is deliberate. He has got them playing this way, and it may well be partly about Casemiro. But I don't think it's—I don't think people are striding through United's midfield because Casemiro's legs have gone. I think people are striding through United's midfield because they throw everyone forward in these fast transitions, and they are unable to stop it. Now, if you had a let's just say peak Angolo Kante in there, who's able to do two players, two positions in one, able to cover the space, then then that might allow this football to be played without it being quite so dangerous on the counter-counter. 
because that's where United, all all the United's like chances given up come from. And so it's partly two things. But I think this is the plan right now. I mean, we've been saying, hey, are we going to see a possession dominant team? Is this, isn't this what Ten Hag wants? But we've been saying it for more than 18 months and we've never seen it. So, yeah, like, so you start to so think. That's the kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where where does he want it to get to? Because what that, this is what you see also. What you, I agree with, you're seeing a team where we, how are we trying to score goals? We're mainly trying to score in the transition. And then when you think about who are the best transition team in recent times, I would say Klopp Liverpool. Yeah. Because what they could do was they'd nail you in transition, but then you couldn't get out. Yeah. And what we're struggling with is that second bit. Yeah, yeah. Where we're not sustaining the attacks in quite the same way. And why is that? And is it just because we don't have a better athlete than Casemiro? Or I, I, or is it because we're not, is it because something we're doing with the fullbacks? I'm not quite sure. Because what Liverpool had, the way they made that ma- method work was they had a centre forward who came into midfield, wasn't really there to score. We don't, we don't have that exactly. Although on Hoyland, we'll come back to him, but his hold up performance and bringing people into play. Which we've said is untidy. Yesterday was by far the best performance we've seen from him at that. Yeah. But at Liverpool, they had a midfield, a striker who comes into midfield. Midfield has three just colossal athletes in it. And then two fullbacks who are getting forward and basically acting as the playmakers that you don't have in midfield because you've got athletes. Now, United aren't really ever going to have the players to make that work because Hoyland doesn't play like that, like Firmino. The, Scott, the, the wingers are probably are never going to score the goals regularly that Salah and Mane did. Mm-hmm. And the fullbacks, and we have Bruno Fernandes. So what what team are we trying to become? And if we're trying to become yeah. more like that kind of team, then I guess, can you become that kind? I don't believe this idea that Bruno Fernandes doesn't have any football intelligence and you can't have a good team with him in it. But if you want an ultra-aggressive, counter-pressing team, then he can press, but it feels like it needs actual physical strength and size as well. Yeah, I don't, have- I don't think Ten Hag is trying to produce Liverpool. I mean, like what what the end state is, if it's not this, I don't I don't really know. But there's no doesn't look to me like that he's trying to produce a Liverpool side. Although two years into into his tenure at, at Liverpool, Klopp hadn't put, they were trying to play the German mid block style against. Most most teams in the Premier League who play the low block defensively or the high block, which is the kind of Manchester City way, right? And and he got counted on all of the time in those first two years. We kind of forget just how how vulnerable Liverpool were. But I think I think that's pretty true until he got all those athletes in midfield and 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 kind of was able to change it around, got players he wanted in there. So anyway, I don't I don't know exactly what Ten Hag's trying to do. I'm pretty sure he can't do it with Casemiro, there is a question about Bruno, and and I certainly, before I get all the tweets, I'm not saying that United have to get rid of Bruno, but it does seem like he's a very binary player. When when they ask him to play a bit deeper in midfield, as happened a lot last season, United didn't get counted on in quite the same way. Our defensive performance was actually pretty good last season, but he was unable to make the same kind of chances and definitely didn't score goals. It just seems like he was neutered in order to get him into a more possession-dominant style. Now we're playing transitional football. That's perfect for Bruno's sort of spray-and-play style of passing. He gave the ball away 17 times yesterday. 
Spray and play. Pray, pray, I mean, pray. This... <laughs> spray and pray. <laughs> spray and play sounds like some kind of uh, lubricant situation. Oh, dear. Deary me. Deary me. Sold by David Pleat, Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like, I, I, there's a, there, I think there's a fair question to be had. I mean, definitely about Casemiro, because clearly his legs are gone and he's trying to play in the way he, he did when he was 20 or something and he can't. But also a question about Bruno and, and what the end state of this team is. So Ten Hag has a vision. He's able to sell that vision to Brailsford, Barada, Ratcliffe, or whoever it is who's making the decision on the manager. And it says, I want this style of team and I need these players in order to play it. And if, if it's about possession dominance, then Bruno might not be that player. Now, you would be taking away either the first or second most chance-creating midfielder in the Premier League, and you'd have to replace it with something if you did that. I mean, the, the ideal midfield, I mean, it's, and this is a weird thing, is this like, because it's very rare I've thought this, but like, if you could, is Mainu, Mainu, or Mainu? Because increasingly, as we see more of him, it's just like, Jesus Christ, this guy, Kid's like, I want him on the ball. I want yep. him on the ball in every phase of the game, in every position. I'll All keep the, the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want, I want on the ball. I mean, he was, he was, he was excellent yesterday, and it's almost like he's like fucking Darren Brown, where he knows what people are going to do because he's made, somehow making them do it. And he's, yeah. I mean, he's already better than he was three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he's going to be better. Again, again. The thing that was uh, really um, clear yesterday is just how press resistant he is as well. I mean, it, it, like the stats been going around, he, six dribbles, the most since Paul Pogba in some game in 2022 or whatever. And but it wasn't necessarily he was taking on players in sort of wide areas or anything like that. A lot of that was just he was in a tight situation with people pressing him, and he's able to get out of it with quick feet. And we saw it last week, didn't we, with the quick feet to set up the Dallo for the cross for McTominay's winner and he, yeah look, he's he's great on the ball he's very good defensively we've seen he can score fine goals as well as against Wolves and he's just brilliant in tight situations so yeah double pivot Omeno Omeno would be really excellent so and, yeah, and one of the Ian also- Wright got very excited about him yesterday and said hey he's got to be in the England squad and like and the reason why you'd say that it's not just his quality but you look at the balance there and I know a lot of listeners will be going, fuck England, which is fair enough. But Rice, Manu and Bellingham would be a very good, potentially European Championship winning trio in midfield, wouldn't it? So, yeah, that is, a, that is a hell of a midfield. And I think I think we will probably, we probably will see it because Manu is just so good. You, you, can't, hold him you back. can't not pick him to pick fucking James Madison. Or, or, or Jordan Henderson. <laughs> So whichever Belland it might be. But yeah, I yeah, he it's just the problem that we have is because of the way we're playing, we're not actually getting him on the ball that much. No, he should be on the ball. So when, like, he get, yeah, when, he, yeah. when he get when he gets it, he's good. But because we're not controlling games in the same way and getting out possessions with the likes of Luton, it means that he's not actually on the ball that much. And he'll he'll get better at getting on the ball as he because as you understand the game, like one of the things about the best players, and this is something that every level I played, like every team I played in, the best player wasn't just the player who was best with the ball. The best player in the team would usually be the person that was just getting on the ball the whole time. And it wasn't because everyone was passing it to him. It was because part of that is knowing where the ball is going to be. Mm. And Manu will get better at that. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is, he's a fucking ridiculous player. 
he he should be making a hundred passes a game, and and not because like it's not because yeah you're right it, it's partly like maturity on their way to be, but it's it's definitely how United are playing at the moment, and we get him on the ball a hundred times a game. He's United are going to be much better for it. Pascal Gross, Pascal Gross, who's been mediocre his entire career until the last three the last three years, and he made 110 passes yesterday for Brighton. So I, we, we're definitely going to see that. We, we haven't talked about the goals. 30, 37 seconds in, and the confidence with which Hoyland not only gets the the bad back pass, or well, I guess it was pass across the fence, but just like in one touch goes around the keeper and scores. Brilliant, loved it. Loved it. Just perfect. I love I love around the keeper goal. Oh, I don't see it I enough. Guess, do partly we? that's from no, we don't see hardly at all anymore. And I guess from like my own terrible playing career, I was sent forward most of the time. And that's the goal you want to score because you want to make the keeper look as much for twat as possible. And that usually involves running around him if you can. We don't see it very often, but he showed you exactly how to do it. And then we saw various other abortive yeah, attempts yeah. at it. Where Dado tries it, what he doesn't realise, he forgets that once you've beaten the keeper, he can still fucking move. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. keeper gets Dado. Dado thinks, right, I've done him. I've got time to pick my finish. And the keeper does him from off the ground. And then Garnacho does it where I think what what he did wrong was he just, it was just the angle. Well, you want to be quite sen- quite central to do it because even if you're like, if you see the way Hoyland did it, the way that he went, he still almost goes too wide. And the way that Garnacho does it, he's already starting from wider and he and he's too wide. The one, and then there was there was the Bruno, Bruno one. Bruno misses it because once you're round, as he is, especially if you're wide, you have to lift it because the guy sliding in is going to do what was it, Mengi, what Ted and yeah. Mengi did. And I actually thought that the chance that Hoyler misses, that wasn't, that, that wasn't a rounding the keeper. That was actually a good effort because he does try to lift it and the keeper's really close and it hits him on the body. But it was funny. It was just, yeah, it was like, it was a proper succession of people trying around the keeper, which I guess reflects how both teams were playing. It, 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 it does, often. yeah. And then United had five big chances yesterday, uh, and uh, those are three of them right there that we missed. Uh, and and clearly, it could have. I, I think it's the ones at two nil, where I think we had two chances. Two of those came at two nil, and that would have, or at least one of them came at two nil. Maybe there was another chance. It could have killed off the game right there and then, and it wouldn't have been as much of a contest. But anyway, that was that was the first goal. Second goal. Wh- why am I forgetting? Who scored the second goal? Hoyland again. Hoyland. This is Hoyland a br- this is a brilliant goal. Yeah, this yeah. is a fucking brilliant yeah. goal. This, they both were. Um, I've got a Hoyland song. Go on. <laughs> was it on the terraces or? <laughs> I I haven't started. Just I was diverted this morning. You're debuting it now. Hi ho, Rasmus Hoyland. Everywhere he goes, there's a grow. I forgot <laughs> the second. Bit. You've forgotten second. I'm gonna have to go. I have. I I don't think we could go as far as to call this a verse. Uh, I think more a line. Okay, I'm going to find it. Okay, here we go. Hi, hi, Rasmus Island. Everywhere he goes, there's a grow. Goes flying, keepers trying. Everywhere he goes, and it's obvious. An exclusive there. We'll see if you can get it onto the terraces <laughs> next week. <laughs> so me and my our group, the Anderson song is ours. Nice. I don't know if that's a good one or the one to pr- one to be proud of or not, but yeah, he shits on Fabregas. Yeah, that was uh, the, the way to the way to Leon in 08. Nice, but what I really liked Hoyland's interview afterwards. What I really like about this guy, he wants to score goals. Yeah, and the first goal showed that, but there was also like he's always trying to score goals, and sounds like a bizarre thing to say, but we haven't really had this in the team since 
Van Persie. Even Mason Greenwood, who is a goal scorer, a natural goal scorer, he wasn't really trying to score them. He was letting them come to him. And if they did happen to come to him, he would deal with them. Uh-huh. But this guy wants to score goals. And he wants, like, even he was absolutely exhausted with 10 15 to go because he flogged himself into the ground. And he is still leading the press. Yeah. He's still schlepping others forward who are less tired than him. Having, I mean, I haven't seen the distance covered, but I, my guess would be he covered a lot m- more ground than almost everyone. And definitely in sprints, he absolutely flogged himself into the ground yesterday. And his interview afterwards, I really liked as well, where he's basically, he, he says that, like, the presence is immense. He says, talking about the away fans, which again is like one of those nice kind of lines you hear from people speaking a language that isn't their first one. And he says, we have to deal with it with Manchester United. Explains the goal really simply. He knew he was going to have to go past him. He's very quick. <laughs> Dragged it one side, bang. And he said he's been, and the, the chest, he said he's been working on not those kinds of finishes, but using that part of his body. And then, he, and then, <laughs> what's his name? Dave Jones goes, it was an incredible reaction. He goes, yeah, it was an incredible finish, to be fair. Which is also, again, just people who know how good they are and they don't sound like dickheads when they say it because they're still nice lads. They just, they just know. And- he's, it's 12 goals this season now. I, and so, yeah, five in the Champions League, seven in the Premier League, and what looked like a difficult start to his time at United is, is looking at, to be a very productive season. He will end up, he may well end up with 20 goals in all competitions, something like that. Still in the FA Cup, we've got, what, another 13 games in the Premier League, something like that. That's going to be a great, I mean, there are not many 21-year-olds who score 20 goals across all competitions in their debut in the top five league. I mean, it's, go- it's going to be a really good performance and it may have taken him a while, but we can also say if he hadn't started the season with that back injury and come to the club with a back injury, he, he would have got moving earlier and we'd have seen the player we see now, which is a very good player or uh, very good yeah, all forward. And so. um, you said last week that you didn't think he was a world beater was it last week or the week before. And obviously you would always sort of try and say that about people to be sensible. But just more and more with every every game, really, he just looks like a better and better player. And the thing that I thought might hold him back, but I always thought, well, his touch, I didn't think his touch, when I first saw Elanga playing at that level, I thought, goodness me, you're not going to make it Mm. because the touch isn't good enough. I don't, Hoyland's touch is better than that. It's a bit more, it's a bit erratic, but, it's still a bit more consistent than Langer. So I never thought that the touch would be something that I would say that's going to hold you back and you're not going to hit the level that you should. But actually, it probably, probably just is better than we had seen so far because in the game Wolves and yesterday, it felt like actually, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is excellent. Few and moments. The power and the pace and the eye for goal, he's got them. He's got all of that. And then there were a few moments yesterday when he was able to wriggle out of tight situations and come deeper. And you, you think, okay, yeah. More of an all-round player. I'm not getting super, super excited just yet. And clearly he's going to have to add even more goals to be a, a striker at United that is challenging for Premier and Champions League trophies. But we're way off that anyway. And he's 21 and and he's doing more. Like if we're making the comparisons since the, the alternative was Harry Kane, he's doing a lot more than Harry Kane was because Harry Kane was on loan at Millwall when he was this age. So... Uh, good, good, good for Erasmus, and he's got a, more goals than a lot of very big name strikers. If you go through the list this season, so he's he's doing all right. And 
Yeah, I think Luton actually a quite good team, I thought. And they, because I, I, I said that last week that I watched them, I thought they were the most likely of the teams to stay up. But when I watched them last season, they were basically, it was just long balls. Yeah, into the box. and it's there not that now. Whereas now, it's not, it, it, is, it isn't that now. I'm really, I'm, I'm really pleased to see Ross Barkley actually playing so well, because he's someone I thought was a proper talent and it's taken him a while. It feels like he might be getting there now. But I think what we see with Luton is that if you want to play the way they want to play, so you need teams to be full of big lads, basically, who can run fast. thing is now is that all the big lads who can run fast can play because mm. there are more good footballers in the world than there's ever been. Everyone you see on the Premier League pitch now can play. They're players who won medals for United, like David May. He probably wouldn't even play in the Premier League now. Mm. Like Carl Rupp wasn't fast, wasn't, wasn't that strong particularly, wasn't good on the ball. Probably wouldn't even play in the Premier League now. Mm. Or, or and but what you're seeing now is there are so many good players around, and almost all of them are strong and fast, and almost all, all of them can play. It's not like oh well, he's a donkey. You just you don't have the there's same not a level. lot of donkeys now. Ross Barkley, there's, there's that um, nice story that uh, apparently Jim Ratcliffe was a big fan of his and complained about the coach not playing him enough when he was at Nice because he he wasn't like in the team every week um, at Nice. So uh, I, I, not that I'm suggesting that. Big Jim will point the finger at Dan Ashworth when he comes in and say, hey, get Ross Barkley on the phone. But apparently Big Jim was a fan and he's a good player. He just and he's he's managed his career. I mean, he had those kind of wilderness years, but he's managed to turn himself into a sort of all round, slightly deep lying playmaking midfielder and and it looked like when in his early days at Everton he might be more of a goal scoring number 10. He's not that anymore. But yeah, uh, I thought he'd be able, like a box to box, like Gazza. Yeah. Like he was, he was, he reminded me a bit of Gazza the way he ran with the ball. There's a game where Everton play away to Newcastle in 12, in 13, 14, and have a look at that. And the way that Ross Barkley played in that game, it felt like, oh my, like, like just, when you see a midfield player running with the ball like that, with a kind of slightly bigger build, I mean, he's not as powerful as Gazza was. Anderson's a bit like that as well. Mm-hmm. Players that you just see just barging past people in midfield. And I thought he was going to be that. Talking of which, main Teep sort of played as a number eight yesterday. Mm. Did side running with the ball a bit, which is something he hasn't done as much. And thought good changes, sensible changes. And never thought I'd say this, but Johnny Evans has been a really smart acquisition. <laughs> I mean, he was unflappable in that second half. <laughs> yeah, I look, I mean, he was unflappable in that second half. Harry Maguire lost the run of himself. Uh, and uh, we, we should talk about some of the details around the cards and stuff like that because it was that was kind of interesting. But Harry Maguire is really struggling with people running at him. Like it's just so classic Harry Maguire to turn up with like your new haircut, and he's got like it's not. I know it's on the slabhead thing, but to me, it's never exactly been the 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 size of the head. It's more the shape of it, where it's like massive and bulbous, and then it sort of tapers, tapers, but particularly tapers like at the nape. In, a, in quite a peculiar way. And also, he's wearing like those buttercup boots, like what's his name, like Thomas Kuschak did. It's just, why, why are you doing this yourself? You're a centre back. You're not like you meant, you're, 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 you're meant to be that kind of centre back, you, but you're wearing yellow boots and getting, uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't. And, <laughs> but there was that moment at half time, right? Where, so McTee comes out and you're like, well, obviously that was going to happen because Casemiro's got to come off. Yeah. And then fucking um, uh, Evans comes out 
And then you have like an awful 10 minutes where you don't know as Varane like jiggered his groin again. Yeah. Hopefully it's Maguire being taken off for everyone's own good, but you don't know. It might be Varane. So soon, like we're all looking over to the tunnel in the second half and Varane was excellent yesterday and so was Evans. And Evans is much better, much more commanding and dominant in the air than he was when we had him last. Mm. But I would say that if Martinez is injured, he's probably the one I'm picking next to Varane. It feels like a better balance. He just doesn't panic. And I know he's 35 and not quick, and that makes a difference. But United are not trying to play a high back line at the moment and press high up the pitch. So it's, yeah, it's all right. Uh, And for all the praise Harry seems to get amongst these various boosters in the media, oh, that was dreadful yesterday. He was just, he was was dreadful. He he shits himself anytime someone's running at the ball with it, running at him with the ball. And it's for an £80 million player, that's definitely not good enough. There will always be, it feels like in every game, there's a moment, even if he, the one yeah. where, where he plays all right, that there'll always be a point where he endeavours, yeah, when he endeavours to, to shit on himself. And it's just... Well, it's dribbling it's down just, his leg yesterday. It was, it was that bad. Casemiro, I, I, it's an interesting one because the second one's it's obviously a yellow card. He's lunged in, he's caught the guy on the top of the foot. It's just, there's no debate about that. The first one, though, it's just a trip. You know, when they show all the... It's just not a booking. It's yeah. just it's so just soft. And I think the referee kind of knew in the back of his head. And then he books Kobe Mainu for uh, the cleanest tackle, the cleanest slide and hook and run away with the ball. Just perfect execution of that, that skill. I was just like, what are you doing? Have a word with yourself. Uh, not as bad a referee in performance as who was it refing the Sheffield United Brighton game with the tackle on the upper thigh? <laughs> the best part about that, I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it's horrendous. It's it's yeah, millimeters away from potentially breaking someone's leg. Sheffield United player flies in and then looks absolutely shocked. He doesn't quite pull a Casemiro. He should have spun round a couple of times, didn't he? And to pull off the full meme, but he looks completely shocked. Like, what are you talking about, ref? And then you see the still frame, and the ball is like a good yard and a half away. While he's his studs are fully on. Um, I think uh, Mitoma's Mitoma's upper thigh, horrendous. And uh, the referee, like, what is it? Is Vars done this right? It's a bit like in cricket where they're they're happy to just go to the DRA, and it like in cricket umpires kind of like it. In in football, I feel like some of the referees are like, "Well, VAR will save me on this one." Well, that's so, it. I said this on Twitter that that what that tackle. Well, what did he think he saw? Like, even if his angle was a little bit unsighted, I'm just. It's not like I'm not dissing him for not seeing. If he couldn't see, he couldn't see it. And it's just I'm intrigued as to did you really think? Well, VAR. If it's a proper red card, VAR will save me. And if it isn't, if it's marginal, I might as well keep him on. I don't necessarily object to that it's just I want VAR out the game not in the game and I guess there'll there'll always be consequences of something of having this other authority that is there to save the referees and then you think well what's the point what's the point of VAR because in cricket they're always quite clear it's to get rid of the howler yeah in football it's to sort of stop games being decided by incorrect decisions it's not to re-referee the games Mm. But that's pretty inconsistent, isn't it? Because here he's he's going, well, because I, I, I don't know, if you look at it, it doesn't really look like he's unsighted, but uh, maybe maybe the player's just in front of him. But if if he, if he has gone, well, I'll, 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 they'll always come me over to the, the VAR. They don't do that for some decisions, though. So if that had been a second yellow card, 
and they're not converting it to red, but it wasn't properly a yellow card. They're not going to re-review that. It's not like they were. Casemiro does get booked for that, gets sent off. They're not. The VAR's not going to go. Ah, oh, hang on a minute, mate. I've just looked at your first one. It's really soft. So, like, one decision's right and the other's wrong, but they're only going to correct one of them. So, before we move on, we should talk about Hoyland's second goal. Uh, because there was a little bit of a debate about whether he meant it. He obviously meant it. And it's a bit of genius, really, isn't it? To, in the moment, realise where you are, where the goal is and where the ball is in order to deflect it like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great goal. And he, yeah, he, when they asked him about it, he was very clear like that, he, that he'd done it on purpose. And Yeah, I mean, he also said that he's playing with confidence at the moment. So those kinds of things go in for you. But it's a, it's a brilliant goal. And it's also just shows you just this different kind of thing that he's capable of, like a kind like a, a wit football intelligence yeah. Yeah. and the ability to execute. And this is the thing I most like about going that shows the ability to execute difficult shit in a composed manner at high speed. And yeah, both of Ga- them. Garnacho really didn't that. execute it all yesterday, did he? But I mean, I, I like the balance of United's forward line much more with him him there rather than Anthony, obviously. And that's not a, like just to bash Anthony for the sake of it, although I like doing that. It's more about it just does everything with speed. He speeds the game up, doesn't slow it down. And I, I don't think his shot was heading in yesterday, was it? But Oiland, just right place. No, right but, place. He, but the that, geometry. you shoot. That's what can happen. Yeah. You, if you can't, if you don't shoot, I remember when I, the first time I think the first time when I saw Mourinho's Chelsea, not the first game where we played them, it is because they hadn't really become Mourinho's Chelsea yet. But I just remember thinking that almost every attack they had ended with a shot. It sounds so simple, but yeah, that's that's it. Just it just makes makes sense. And it ended I ended with a shot being deflected in from Frank Lampard, daisy cuttering one because yes, exactly. To do that. Some. <laughs> And some people that they don't they don't agree that they don't shoot if there's a good shooting opportunity. Otherwise, you're giving the ball away. And this is back to this kind of team that United are. That we've got players that try and speed the game up. Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandez are there to try stuff, to do stuff, yeah. and Garnacho also. And then, and this is why I was talking a little bit about the team that Liverpool are rather than the team that City are, is because if you look at the best players in the United team, they're players that want to make it a quick game. They want to speed sure. the game up. They want to. Sh- they will. You get the ball forward, and you want you try to get it forward to them quickly, so that they've got as much space and time as possible to work in. So you want to get the ball to them quickly, and they do their thing quickly. And whatever their thing is, it's either you score or you don't. And if you don't, the ball's coming back at you, unless you can get it back. City is slowing an intricate uh, United a total chaos, uh, and some of that isn't good. But a lot of it going forward is much better than it was. And uh, I mean, like I think you said last week. Teams now have scored at least twice to beat us. Uh, and it's looking at, like, uh, what do we, we have 35 goals and positive goal difference now. Woohoo. Take that, Luton. We're no longer bottom of the score, goal scoring table um, or whatever it was. But uh, it does look like we're able to fashion enough good chances, uh, especially in transitional moments now, to score a couple of times a game. It's pretty important. Uh, yeah, all right. It's just, it's a. In- it's enjoyable to watch us. The, the games are not boring. And I mean, that just see it. That, that's so important. It's just, it seems ridiculous to have to say it, but the fact that you go and watch United play and it's not going to be shit. Just that. <laughs> well, it's a bonus. Yeah. 
that because like, we we did watch the same game over and over again in the early stages of the season, and I guess I'm not sick of this style of game yet. I'd like to see some progress to the style of game where we play well and almost toss it. I, I I don't I don't mind seeing a bit less of it, but I'm not bored of it yet because it, it's it's entertaining, and I feel like I don't totally trust the manager's ability to sort it because I think he should have sorted it already. I think mm-hmm. there should be an answer that isn't buy buy two more players, mm. and it feels like buy two more players is it. Oh my gosh! Something else I forgot about this game. Just like remember, just before the end, Amrabat tries to waddle through this gap between two defenders, and I do not think I've ever seen anyone move slower. And then <laughs> I thought maybe it's us because I then remembered that I remember seeing this video on Twitter of Matter when he was at Chelsea, and the guy looks like he's on roller skates. And then he comes to United, and literally, like I, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't. But then someone sped the video up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like Matt to do it, running quick, quite quickly, doing things quickly. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I can't believe that Amrabat would have been signed were he always that slow. And therefore, it must, as ever, just be us. <laughs> yeah, they are not going to convert Amrabat's to a full permanent signing, a 10 million euro loan fee well spent there, lads. I, full, I think that's the I, last time we'll do stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think so too, because the money is ours in a way that it hasn't been before. We're now talking about money that belongs to Manchester United in a way that, yeah, when the point of United's money is to make United good at football. That's a good segue to talk about Dan Ashworth and um, Jason Wilcox and some of the moves behind the scenes on the uh, football operations front. I think there's some fun and games going here. I, I assume if they, re- I don't know whether the reports about Jason Wilcox are true or not. It seems like they're trying to recruit him to be part of uh, Ashworth's team. I presume there's a connection with Barada there, so they both worked at City for a while uh, that should be an easier deal to do with Southampton uh, and then on Ashworth some absolutely wild reporting here wild like seriously like putting your name to a piece of paper in a major national newspaper that says this backroom staff member will not be moving to another job unless there is a 20 million pound transfer fee paid or they're going to force him to wait out a 30-month gardening leave no and no, neither of those things are true or will happen. Uh, I can tell you that right now. Trying to enforce uh, that kind of uh, restricted covenant, fuck no, will that ever happen. So, <laughs> like, Luke Edwards, hang your head in shame, but it's not just him. It's uh, everyone just guessing at numbers at the moment. Anyway, they will come to a sensible compromise and a handshake. That Well, for two reasons, they're not going to keep someone on. Three, sorry, three reasons. Not going to keep Ashworth on gardening leave and make him sit out of his contract. One, I don't think it'd be enforceable if challenged. Uh, Two, who would go there as a replacement if you're going to be forced to wait out a contract? Three, they'll come to some... Can I interrupt too? Probably almost everyone who you would offer the job to would take it because it would be loads more money than they're getting. Well, true, true, true. Unfortunately, because who would go and sign for Tottenham? People would do it if Tottenham's the better time for Daniel Lee. If, if that's yeah, the yeah. best that they've got, they will. Like, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And unfortunately, the world isn't allowed to be like that because people will go where the money is. Yeah, it, it does I depend on this. 
the specific wording of the gardening leave clause in his contract, because there will be one. I mean, I used to have them, which like no one in mm-hmm. not, not that, no 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 no. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> Just like everyone has them. <laughs> there was a particular organisation I worked for when I was flying around the world all the time. Uh, at one point, someone uh, fairly important in the organisation just left, and they worked out that no one had these notice and gardening leave clauses in their contract, so they forced everyone to have one, although they never actually checked whether I'd signed my contract or not, which which I had not. So, yeah, good on the admin front there. Anyway, I, I, I'm 100% certain they'll sort this out. Newcastle sorted it out with Brighton. They paid a £5 million fee, and he waited out three-month gardening leave. They'll do something similar, and he'll be in place before the summer. And in any case, like... What, how are they going to police it? Are they going to police a Zoom call? No, they're not. Would his laptop mysteriously go missing at Carrington? I mean, it might do. Like, terrible things happen, don't they? So. Often when these lads are involved. I mean, yeah. they do not like people exercising freedom of choice, do they? <laughs> not I think Newcastle. that. No. no. Yeah, I think that anyone should be able to work for anyone that they want to work for. Um, which is why I think you probably need some kind of clause in every player contract. And then you don't have agents and then the fees are negotiated. That would be much cleaner, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, FIFA would try to go yeah, something like that. Look look like a a cap on on the agents fee of 3%, but they lost their their court case. Yeah, Yeah. it feels like that. It feels like that would be better because I don't, obviously it's reasonable that the clubs are compensated for the work they do in developing players if a bigger richer club wants to come and take them away and that itself is funny that poor old Newcastle because they did the same to Brighton you did the same to whoever it was and that's just yeah. that's what happens and I don't I'm not saying that's a good thing but I'm saying the hypocrisy of people suggesting that Newcastle deserve like they they have been slighted in some way they did it and now it's being done to them that's it I think that we need to think about I guess increasingly as I mean, partly it's just like the ubiquity of football that we're just devouring more information. So now we know who all these people are. And partly it is the diversification of what football is. So that yeah. these people now become names and some going, oh, good. I had signed a suit. <laughs> I know, is it? And, and this is something about which, and I know it's good news. There's just something about me that doesn't quite like the fact exactly that it's good news. And I don't think it's just because a grown man who goes around telling people that their name is Dan when it's Daniel. And obviously, like I know by people call me Dan, I don't mind. quite like it in some ways because my wife doesn't like it. But yeah, I, I think at the age of 44, I'm not going into any room and telling anyone that my name is Dan. I guess I guess when, when you do work stuff, are you Ed or, Ed or Edward? No, I'm always Ed. Edward always found felt too too formal for me. So... Um, at some point, it, I, I'm sure when I was a kid, I was Edward, but just all my adult life, I've been Ed, basically. Um, Were you ever Eddie? No. Eddie, my uncle and my mum's uncle. Is that my great uncle? I guess it is, was Ned. So, which does found, seem very old man, doesn't it, Ned? Well, Ned, do Ned Stark, I guess it's sort of become very associated with one particular character now, the, the, the name Ned. I once went through a phase, I kind of, like, I'm probably about eight or nine, decided I thought Danny was quite a cool name. So I, like, a couple of times, like, really, like, a handful of times, said that, told in some format, said that this is my name. And obviously now, like, a stack of my mates just call me Danny. 
as a, as a, uh, as a matter of course. <laughs> but literally, like a moment, a moment of, of, you, of youthful stupidity that did not last, that did not last very long at all. No, but, you um, deserve a slap for that. No, Danny, Danny's not. Yeah, <laughs> there needs to be, I guess, some kind of. But this is going to happen more where suits are getting poached. So there needs to be a way that this stuff is dealt with. And I don't know if it should just be they get to go and work wherever they want because that does mean, does make sort of stealing of secrets quite easy. Sure, but that happens in business um, everywhere, doesn't it? it? It's not like you, you have some kind of NDA which says, hey, you can't go give all my secrets. Now, obviously... Football is not exactly like I don't know chip development or something like that, where all the IP really matters. You can track it, and you can there's going to be legal cases and stuff like that. So it's not like Ashworth with his famous list of players on his uh, transfer list of players on his laptop is going to get sued by Newcastle. Like, well, we were trying to sign the big lad up front, and now you sign the big lad up front. I, I, like, I don't know. Inf- information is imperfect in football, but it's not exactly a secret, is it? Like, there are what. 10, 15 consultancies that do all this as well. Thousands and thousands of players benchmarking across leagues. When when Ed Woodward let it be known that United had apparently looked at 800 right-backs before signing Aaron wan <laughs> A shit one. Yeah. <laughs> you played in the yeah. Premier League. <laughs> yeah, that was because <laughs> they were working with 21st Group. And they had all the data on all those players, right? It wasn't that they'd gone and scouted 800 players. Ed Woodward personally scrolling through Scout to look at clips of uh, 16-year-old right-backs. Uh, anyway, uh, information is is out there. I don't, like, it's, it's Ashworth's organizational ability, not his uh, magical list of transfers that uh, is what United are trying to buy here. Um, and they'll come to they'll Yeah, come I think, to, I think that's right. He, yeah. he doesn't really, yeah, he wasn't the guy who was identifying the talent particularly, I don't think. He's just the guy no. who, 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 who will make it work. Like, I don't, it doesn't feel like as an individual he's going to bring anything that's going to illuminate our existences. It's I don't just, think that's how it works. I mean, yeah. No, he'll facilitate, yeah. he'll facilitate the people that, that make stuff work. And I agree what you say about the secrets, ultimately. It's very be very hard to prove because it's not a formula. They want such so such, Newcastle want a player. Ashworth knows about it. Then proving that United didn't know about him already, given that we scouted a million people just to sign Aaron Wan Bissaka. Yeah, quite. That would be that would be brought up in evidence. Look, look. Of course, <laughs> we knew about him. He's all the right backs we looked at before we signed that. Uncovering um, this gem from South London, yeah. It'd be interesting because Brighton's chief scout is going to Chelsea, and I don't know whether he was more important in the pathway that Brighton seemed to have found between like very young South American players and their first team because they just seem to have this conveyor belt of South American talent. And CISO, Buena Note scored another goal this weekend, didn't he? Caicedo before that, they just seem to pluck out a cheap South American kid from absolutely nowhere and they turn out to be brilliant and they do it all the time. So they, they have some some level of insight there, I guess. Yeah. Very good. Well, I mean, look, they're not they're not fucking around, are they, Ratcliffe and team? New CEO, director of football will be in, I guess. Wilcox comes in as some kind of technical or chief scouting option. Uh, I assume as a result we're going to see Murta leave. By the way... 
I don't know whether you read Norcross column in the Sunday Times this weekend. Absolutely magic. Magic anecdote in there about how United had tried to sign Haaland when he was at Mulder. This is 2018. So he was I don't know, 18 year old or 17 or 18 years old. And Murta was head of development at the time at United. That's where he started his career until he, the Peter Principal kicked in and he got over promoted at United. And anyway, so Murta was supposed to, they'd agreed a £5 million fee with Mulder. Murta had to call at nine o'clock to go, yeah, we're doing it. Red Bull Salzburg were also interested, or RB Salzburg, uh, which, of course, where he ended up. Murta didn't realise that Norway was one hour ahead and so didn't call <laughs> at the right appropriate time. Uh, they didn't get the call that they were expecting, and so he signed for RB Salzburg. There you go. Thank you, John Murta. No, you didn't occur to you. Oh, man. That is, that's phenomenal. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's such a, the Hall of Fame is so extensive that <laughs> yeah. it's hard, it's hard to know even, even where to begin. It's like, it's just not a Hall of Fame. It's like a hall full of door with full of doors that all open up into other doors and, <laughs> and piles of shit. doors and doors and just <sighs> like the kind of like a nightmarish thing where every time you open a door, you enter an identical hall full of doors. Full of John Murtas. Yeah. Yeah, well, he'll be gone at some point, I assume. Although uh, he is apparently a phenomenal networker and ingratiates his way into various people, which is why he survived in this industry for so long. Uh, Phenomenal networker. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, it's what you need in football these days. (laughs) I have had an update on some some news. Um, Anoy Emery said at the weekend, he was fantastic talking about Ollie Watkins. The best action was in the first half where he created a chance to tee them off. And so this this is a good deployment of action because it tells <laughs> us it's not just about defensive work. No. And it's also about just like... He did a thing. Because there isn't actually a football word for it. And I don't think action is a good one. And I guess maybe it's people who don't have it in English. You've been forced to say, you guys don't have a word for this. And this is maybe it's the one that's most similar or the most similar translation, or I don't know. But the best, yeah. I mean, contribution, the best contribution was in the first half. I guess you might say contribution. But yeah, football doesn't exactly have a word for it. Play, America, American sport, the best play. They would. It doesn't sound right, does it? And also, I got, I got an email from PR thing today, London Fashion Week. And it, it's been a tremendous day for Little Trousers because Mikel Arteta... <laughs> has pipped Pep Guardiola to be voted best-dressed Premier League manager. Mikel Arteta and his little balls. And his little trousers. I mean, what? I I mean, it is a tremendous day, but yeah, yeah, for, the, for little trousers. But, I mean, I, I don't think anyone else can wear them. I don't think anyone else is quite little enough. It's not, it's not really uh, fair. It's not really I'd fair. I'd like to try, try pulling those on. Um, who's got tremendous thighs in the uh, the Premier League? I guess I guess Harland does. Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes. Oh God! Imagine right pulling those on Mark Hughes. He'd be like the Hulk ripping through them, wouldn't he? There was a lad I knew whose mum we used to call thumb to thighs, and and also Sparky. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Would you Would you like to name? <laughs> name who, who's the no. lad who uh, was he? One of the lads who called you Danny. It was no, 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 no. It was a friend of a friend, actually. But yeah, 
All right. We'll do a preview midweek of next weekend's game because, you know, I got a whole week off now in order to, and, and all we'll have to talk about all week is how much compensation we're paying for Dan Ashworth, a suit that we now have a transfer market for, apparently. Sad times. What's football come to? Good to talk to you, Dan. Danny, Daniel, there <laughs> with Tintin in the background. You, you never thought of doing a Tintin quiff for YouTube viewers? I, yeah, I don't know if I've quite got the thickness for a quiff. I mean, I, I, do, I, I do like Tintin, but it's, this bag actually contains biscuits that I'm not allowed to eat. Um, it came, my, my wife, whenever she goes to, she, whenever she goes to Belchester, Brussels for work sometimes, and um, she, so she brings back these biscuits that I'm never allowed. I'm never allowed to eat, and there are some, and they, for whatever reason, now I think they came in the Tintin bag, and I, I was like, well, I'll, I'll have the Tintin bag then if I can't have the biscuits. And I actually think there are biscuits in there, and that sounds I'm not like it. To eat them. Oh, sad. One Tintin anecdote before we go. When I guess me and Paul were about sixteen, fifteen, sixteen or so. We went to stay with his uncle in Paris. There's a Tintin Tintin's store there. Uncle. Not Tintin's uncle, Paul's uncle. Tintin's uncle would have been, yeah, his fictional uncle. We visited the Tintin store, I have no idea if it's still there, and I opened a book, which was a porno Tintin, and there was Tintin <laughs> with an absolutely massive boner about to give it to Castafiore. <laughs> I was like, oh, my oh, God. Well. <laughs> so it's great. And her emerald. There's some for some for your emerald too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I you did not buy this wondrous. <laughs> I did not. Wondrous uh, artifact. I, I will go look for it now, and I'll send you a copy because it was very special. Now I know you're a Tintin fan. It's good stuff. That is All right. All right, folks. Thanks. For, <laughs> thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye now. Please.